Well, take your copy of God's Word, please, and open again to the book of 1 Thessalonians, and this time find chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, the church in Thessalonica in many ways was a great church. It was a great church in so many ways, but it was not a perfect church. In fact, I hope that you know that there are no perfect churches. I was reminded this past week as I was listening to one particular pastor, I was reminded that if we're being obedient to the Lord as a church and we're evangelistic and we're winning people to Christ and we're bringing those people into the church and seeking to disciple them, the church can become quite messy, quite messy. But it's really part of the growing process. Now, we don't always like that because we like our church to be this way and whatnot. But if we're going to be obedient to the Lord and we're going to win people to Christ and we're going to see them discipled, then things can get messy. If you have had children, you remember that babies and toddlers are quite messy. When they're learning to feed themselves, they make a humongous mess. You remember food is everywhere. Food is on them. It's on the tray. It can be on the ceilings, on the walls. It's everywhere because they're learning to feed themselves. And so what do we do? We don't scold them. We don't discipline them. We don't get angry with them and say, how dare you put food everywhere? No, we don't do that to a little baby or toddler. Why? Because they're new at this whole eating thing. They're new at learning these things. And baby Christians are the same way in a lot of ways. They're the same way. And especially if they're totally new to church. They can do a lot of things that seem out of the ordinary. They don't know the lingo. They don't know the expectations. They don't know their routines. They don't know how things work. They don't know what a tithe is. They don't know what an offertory is. They may not know what a prelude is or a benediction. Looking at y'all, some of y'all don't know what that is. But anyway, they're new at these things. And so what do we do? Do we get upset with them? Do we get angry at them? Do we we get all bent out of shape? No. What we do is we love them and we patiently help them because we're seeking to disciple them. That's a part of discipling believers. That is, you have to get into the mess of life. And church is messy. Now, sometimes, sad to say, church becomes messy because people don't like People that are in the church don't like what's going on in the church and they bring another mess, but that's another message for another day. We're looking at this whole idea of newer believers. Now, last time we were in 1 Thessalonians, we looked at a very important topic. It made some uncomfortable, but we talked about sexual purity. And then last week, of course, Brother Ozzie brought a great message on homecoming. And so we come today and we kind of pick up from where we were in the letter And today we're going to see that Paul is addressing some practical matters when it comes to living the life as a Christian, especially in the matter of loving others. We're going to talk about loving others today. And in the passage we're going to read, he lays out four directives for walking and loving. Now, you might want to jot these down. You might want to reference them later uh, because these four directives apply to us too. Four directives for walking and loving. We're going to pick up our reading today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll begin reading at verse 9, and we'll read down to verse number 12. Now, I know a lot of you are excited about next time, because next time we really dive into something so precious, uh, that is the rapture, the coming of the Lord Jesus. But before we get to that, we see this whole instruction concerning love. 
Let's begin reading at verse number 9. It says, But concerning brotherly love, phileo, Philadelphia love, brotherly love, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And then verse 11, it's a very interesting verse, we're going to talk about it today. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Now, obviously, beloved, we don't have a full picture of all that's going on with these believers and this church in Thessalonica. But we can somewhat read between the lines and consider some possibilities of why Paul, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would tell these believers these particular commands, these instructions, which seem so kind of on the surface like, wow. Some scholars believe that the believers there in Thessalonica, they were so captivated, so focused on the second coming of Jesus Christ, which he's going to address in a moment, and we'll look at it probably next week, that they were too focused on the second coming of Christ. Now that sounds strange to us, because we obviously go sometimes to the opposite extreme. We don't give a thought to the second coming of Christ. We just live life. But some scholars believe what's happening here is they were so focused on it, they quit living their normal lives. They just kind of settled down, sat down, and were waiting for the Lord to return. And it caused problems in the church body. In fact, you know, we just read those items. If you fast forward to the next book, you've got your, put your finger there in 1 Thessalonians 4 and go to the next book, 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. And I want to show you that some people did not heed what Paul said. And it really helps kind of paint a picture of what's going on. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'll put the reference up if you need it. 2 Thessalonians 3. Begin reading at verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 3 beginning verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which we receive, uh, you receive from us, which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, For we were not disorderly among you. So we had disorderly brethren there. Now watch this, verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but work with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are what? Busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, 
but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. And we would say amen. It's important to not only hear the word, but heed it. Because we just read back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, to work, mind your own business, those sorts of things. We get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, what's he addressing? Brethren in the church who were not obeying and who were living disorderly. And he said, mark them out and admonish them as brothers. See that they be corrected. We don't want to end up like these believers in 2 Thessalonians 3, so we need to obey what we're going to learn today in 1 Thessalonians 4. Now remember, I'm giving you four directives for walking in love. Four directives for walking in love. We're back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, and the very first directive is simple. Talking about walking in love, it's this, increase in your love. This church did a great job loving each other. In fact, did you notice verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9? But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We love God and we love each other. Why? Because God first loved us. It's implanted in us and we love one another. And I think in many ways, we as a church family do a good job in loving one another. And their love extended beyond just their church. It extended to their region. Look at the first part of verse 10. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But what's interesting is when you read the rest of verse 10. He just said, I don't even need to write to you about this because you do such a good job. And you not only love each other, you love your region, you love your area. But then he goes on to say these words at the end of verse 10. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Increase in your love. Grow in your love. Be better at loving others. In fact, can I just remind you today, there's never a time in our lives where we say, you know what? (laughs) I've loved enough. I've reached the supreme pinnacle of love. I don't have to grow in my love anymore. I don't have to express my love anymore. I am just love, capital L-O-V-E. No. We have to grow in our love. We never stop growing. We get better at it. We improve at it. We increase in our love. If you've been married longer than six months, I hope that you are getting better at increasing in your love. You think, oh, I could never love them more than I love them right now. And then ten years go by and you say, I love them more than I ever have. You love them more. Toward our brothers and sisters, we should grow in our love. Remember, love here has the other person in mind. Love benefits and blesses the other person. Yes, we are blessed, but love is all about focusing upon the other person, uh, person, encouraging them, loving them. You might be thinking, well, how do we do this? How do we grow in our love? Because remember, biblical love is, is primarily a decision. We're commanded to love. It's not primarily an emotion. Emotions follow, but biblical love is a choice that we make, and emotions often come with that. So how do we grow? Well, we know that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so the Holy Spirit is working within us to help us to love. God has implanted His love within us. We love Him because He first loved us. We love each other because He first loved us. And we cooperate what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and growing in our love. But really the next three that I'm going to talk about, these three directives that I'm going to mention 
are actually a growing in love. If we'll practice these next three, it will help us to grow in our love. So realizing this, are you ready for the second directive? Because I'm ready to talk about it. The second directive is simply this. Lead a quiet life. Hmm. Now, I'm not making that up. You saw that in the scripture we read, right? It says that you aspire, you aspire to lead a quiet life. Aspire means to have as your goal, to have as your ambition. Your aspiration is to lead a quiet life. Now, that seems strange to us. Why? Because we live in America. In 2023. And I think because we live in America in 2023, and because this sounds a bit strange to us, we need to camp out here for a moment and talk about aspiring to live a quiet life. What does that mean? Does that mean don't talk much? Does that mean don't do much? Does that mean don't accomplish much? I mean, you're just aspiring. My aspiration, my goal, my aim in life is to lead a quiet life so I don't say much, I don't do much, I don't accomplish much. Well, to find out, we need to understand what that word quiet means in this text when it was written. When you and I use the word quiet, we usually refer to what? We're telling someone to either stop talking or to talk more softly. If we say to each other, be quiet, what do we mean? We mean, some of you kids, you get the look from mom. Just be quiet, quit talking. Or you're going to get it when we get out of here. My mom used to give me the look in church too. This word translated, Thomas Constable helps us here. So the word translated quiet here. Now remember that this is an English translation. We read quiet here. This was not written in English originally. This was written in Greek. And the word translated quiet here, he says, means quiet in the sense of, listen, restfulness rather than a quiet as opposed to talkativeness. Here's what it means. It means undisturbed. It means settled. It means not noisy. Paul was telling the Thessalonians to be less frantic, not less exuberant. He said a person who is constantly on the move is frequently a bother to other people as well as somewhat distracted from his own walk with God. A Christian who strives to be at peace with himself and God will be a source of peace to his brethren. Such quietude constitutes a practical demonstration of love for others. This is not saying don't talk. This is saying be calm. Be orderly. Be peaceful. Be restful, to lead a quiet life. I like what one author said. He said, many people, especially in our modern world of cell phones and text messages and Twitter and emails, are too busy and frantic in life to have time to slow down and love others. Our culture of busyness and overload is not conducive to growing in love. Stop and think about it. This just really hit me between the eyes. Stop and think about it. How often do you feel loved by an excessively busy, restless person?
I'm going to love people. I've got to slow down and not live restlessly, but live a restful, calm, peaceful life that allows me the opportunity and the energy to express love to others. I think one of the greatest challenges we have as believers, I think one of the greatest challenges we have even in this church, and I'm speaking of Red Hill Baptist Church, is our lives are so filled to overflowing with so much activity and self-interest at times that we don't take time to be quiet and love other people. You see, to truly love people is costly. I was reading this past week a new book called Dream Small. I, I Purposefully, it was sent to me by a particular ministry, and I picked it up because I thought it might have something about this, and lo and behold, I picked it up, and this verse was mentioned right away. But it was pointing out that a lot of us are busy trying to write our own stories. I'm talking about believers. We're trying to write our own stories. And we're trying to write a good story. But the point he was making was this. We need to realize that we are not to write our own stories. We're just a character in a much bigger story that God is writing. And there's a tremendous difference. There's a tremendous difference when you take the pencil and you begin to try to write your own story than when you give the pencil back to the Creator and say, I realize this is not about me. I'm just a character in the story that you're writing. You see, when we try to write our own story, here's what happens. We get frustrated. We get frantic. We get restless. We get exhausted. Why? Because we're trying to make much of ourselves. When you write your own story, you want it to be a good story. You want to be able to want to read the story and see the story and celebrate the story. And so we get frantic and frustrated and restless. I can't get enough done. I can't get here. But then when we realize, wait a minute, I'm not writing the story. The great author's placed me in his story. I'm a character that he's placed. He's in charge. He's writing the script. Then at that moment, I can then say, you know what? I can lead a quiet and peaceable life because my purpose is not to make much of me. My purpose is to make much of him. You see the difference? So many people are living a frantic, frustrated, restless life because they're trying to write their own story and make much of themselves. But God wants us to lead a quiet life. It's interesting. You may remember this. Paul told Timothy this, the 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 3. 1 through 3. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. It's interesting. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? You remember what it says? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. God sees it good that we live a quiet and peaceable life trusting Him. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you're like me, this is one directive you've got to think about. 
And I hope you do think about it. What is God saying to you personally when it comes to leading a quiet life? Are you leading a quiet life? Remember, we're not talking about talking, not talking about accomplishments and things. We're talking about a restful, a, a, a restfulness, a peacefulness about your life, a calm, not frantic, not exhausted, not frustrated, not writing your own story, but living your life in the scope of His story, allowing Him to write it out as He sees fit. You need to think about it, just as I've been thinking about it. And I think I'm going to keep on thinking about it. We've got to hurry. I've got to give you the last two directives. The next one's interesting, too. In fact, if you didn't read it with me, you wouldn't believe it's in the Scripture, probably. It's simply this. Mind your own business. I remember, I don't know why I thought about this, this but there was an old country song. It's going to read, Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Mind your own business and you won't be minding mine. I don't know who sang that, but anyway, it just popped in my mind. I didn't know I was listening to gospel music back then when I used to listen to that song on the radio. Mind your own business. Look at what it says. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 That you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business. Now that seems pretty strong. That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Mind your own business. In other words, don't be a busy body. Don't put your nose where it doesn't belong. Don't be nosy. Now, I've got to qualify this. When you're considering, considering Scripture, you've got to consider all of Scripture. So don't take this the wrong way and, and understand this is that you're not to be involved in other people's lives because the Bible gives a whole list of one another statements. We're to love one another and so forth. So this, this whole idea of minding our business is not discouraging genuine care and biblical love. It doesn't mean you just have nothing to do with other people. I'm just going to mind my own business. No. As believers, we're supposed to love each other, care for each other, support one another, those sorts of things. But what this prohibits is meddling in other people's affairs. Getting involved in things we have no business getting involved with. Some of you didn't know when you said mind your own business, you were quoting Scripture, did you? Some of you may think you have a new favorite Bible verse, you know. Mind your own business. This also is not discouraging confronting sin and challenging our brothers and sisters and things. We want to be biblical in all things that we're doing, but it's very clear here, because we read in 2 Thessalonians 3, right? there were those who were busybodies. And we see how this works. I mean, they were just kind of settled down. We're waiting for Jesus to come. We're not working, not doing things we should be doing. And so what happens? We get bored. You know what really, I think, promotes gossip and meddling? Boredom. Because people that, people that are busy serving Jesus, people that are busy living life and, and doing what God's called them to do, they don't have much time for that. It's those that are not doing what God's called them to do that become meddlesome and nosy. Have you heard? Did you know? I better move on from this. I'm going to get in trouble. Mind your own business. Number four, do your own work. Look at it again. Verse 11. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business, and watch the next part, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. 
Remember we learned in the Second Thessalonians passage we read that there were those who were not doing this? In fact, it was so bad he said that if they will not work, neither shall they what? Eat. That, that's pretty strong. Paul had modeled a good work ethic for them. In fact, you're there in chapter 4. If you look at chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9, here's what he says. For you remember, brethren, chapter 2, verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. Paul says, listen, we modeled this for you. We worked hard over there. We didn't want to be a burden to you. We paid our own way. You see, when people who can work won't work, it becomes a real problem. By the way, that's one of the big problems in our own nation. People who can work won't work. And they expect those who do work to care for them. I'm not talking about those that are truly needy. I'm not talking about those that are unable to work. I'm talking about those who are able-bodied who can work but won't work. We've got to remember, likewise, when it comes to the whole idea of work and the theology of work, some people think, oh, well, work is because of sin. No. When God created Adam and Eve, He put them in the garden to dress and keep it. Work was given as a blessing. What happened when sin came in is work became much more difficult. And out of the sweat of your brow, you'll eat the bread of the earth. That's where the thorns and the thistles and the sweat and all those things, the difficulties, the things breaking, things not going well. Work was made difficult, more difficult because of the fall and the sin, but work itself was a blessing from Almighty God. God is a worker. We see it in the life of the Lord Jesus. He was a worker, laboring away, really in obscurity for all those years in, in, in his uh, adopted father's carpenter shop. There are different types of work. This says to do your own work with your own hands. It's not saying if you do manual labor, you're better than those who do mental labor. No, 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 no. It's the whole idea of doing labor, whatever the God has called you to do, whatever that job looks like. You see, Christians who are able to work and who do work, are they should be the best workers that a company has. Did you know that? Why? Well, because they should be working to honor God. They should be working to honor those who have hired them and their testimony to everyone who sees them. Their testimony for Jesus Christ. We could go back and read much scripture when it talks about working as unto the Lord and not unto others and, and, and do it as unto the Lord and so forth. It, it's interesting that Paul brings up this whole idea of being a testimony in this passage. Did you notice verse 12? I want to read it in the NLT this time. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 then people who are not believers, lost people, people who are not believers, will respect the way you live. And you will not have, need to depend on others. If someone claims to be a Christian, in fact, the Scripture says elsewhere, if, if a man doesn't take care of his own, then he's denied the faith and is worse than the infidel. I mean, that's pretty strong. That's not me. That's what the Bible says. But think about this. If, if someone claims to be a Christian, but won't work, won't care for their own, or they are sorry workers, what kind of testimony is that for Jesus Christ? Oh, I'm a Christian. You see, these directives reflect a good testimony for Christ. 
leading a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your own hands. As I thought about this whole idea of of Christians being testimony to others, those that are lost, it occurred to me, and this thought came to mind. I'll just give it to you and see how it strikes you. How many non-Christians, how many non-Christians don't become Christians because they've met some Christians? Did you catch that? How many lost people, non-Christians, they don't become a Christian. Why? Because they've met some Christians. <laughs> I mean, we can see how this will work in this very passage. Someone says, by the way, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. But that person's restless and frantic and loud and self-seeking and nosy and meddlesome and lazy and won't work, expects other people to do their work, take care of them, feed them, and then they say, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? I want you to experience what I've experienced in Jesus. I want your life to change like He changed my life. Can I tell you about Jesus? And what's that lost person thinking? No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't have any interest in if that. What Christianity is all about, I have no interest in that. See, our testimony matters. We've got to remember that. You say, oh, I have grace and I'm free in Christ. Well, praise the Lord. But we've got to remember we have a testimony too. And there's a lost world that's watching us. And God wants us to live godly lives and honor Him because our lives are a reflection, a testimony of Him, or at least they should be. Now listen, if you live like that, if you live, sorry, working, all of that, then don't, don't tell them you go to church here. Honestly, I mean, I mean it. If you're the sorriest worker, it's your job. You want to tell me, mind your own business, don't you? That's what you want to say. I'm going to make somebody mad. But I mean, honestly, I mean, if somebody's the sorriest worker, they're lazy, don't tell them you go here. Furthermore, don't tell them you're a Christian. Don't, don't tell them. Because that's not a reflection. Christ, Christ is not pleased with the lifestyle that you're living. He loves you. Don't misunderstand. But you see, he's told us. I mean, you talk about, people say, oh, the Bible's not relevant. Well, can I just look at the lead a quiet life? Work with your own hands. Mind your own business. If you'll do this, you'll have a good testimony to those who don't know Jesus, and you'll have what you need. You won't have to depend upon other people to provide for you what God's enabled you to do. Now, don't misunderstand. Christians, we're not perfect. We all fail. We all fumble. We all have bad days at work. We have days we don't even go to work. There's days I don't want to come here and stand in this pulpit and preach. There, there are. We're human. I want you to not misunderstand me today. We're, we're grace-filled people. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about, though, a consistent lifestyle. Yeah, we have bad days. We have off days. But our heart and our normal pattern should be one where we are obeying God and living lives that are pleasing to God and seeking to be a good testimony to those who are around us and and seeking to really be a light to those around us living in darkness and, and presenting the claims of Jesus in their life as God enables us. You see, Christians aren't perfect, but they're different. And they're growing. And they're maturing. 
and they're truly loving. We want to walk in love. I know I do. I really do want to walk in love. And I'm convinced that you want to walk in love too. And so, how do we do that? Well, we need to increase in our love. Cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Taking time to love. Leading a quiet life. Not restless, not frantic, but calm and peaceful, realizing that we're playing a part in a big story that God is writing for His glory. We we mind our own business. Yes, we care for our brothers and sisters. Yes, we love them. Yes, we minister to them. But there's a point. We don't become meddlesome. We don't become nosy. We We don't become gossipers, none of that. And then we do the work that God has given us to do. And you know, really, if you'll do the last directive, (laughs) it helps a lot with the third directive. If you're busy doing what God's called you to do, you won't have much time to meddle in other people's affairs. And you'll be busy doing what God has called you to do for your work and also busy leading a quiet life that you might bless and love others. May God help us to do it all for His honor and His glory. Father, we love You today. We recognize that we are but dust. We have bad days. We fail. But You love us unconditionally. But Lord, You've also called us to walk in a way that brings honor and glory to You. So Lord, help us to live out these directives in our life. Help us to grow in our love, to lead a restful, peaceful, quiet life, to mind our own business, and to do the work that You've given us to do. And I pray today, if anybody here does not know You, Maybe they've seen some bad examples. Maybe they've been turned off by their treatment from other believers. But you brought them to this moment. Would you help them to see you? Would you help them to see their need of salvation? And would you bring them to saving faith in Christ today? Father, thank You for such practical truth from Your Word. We know we can't do these things in our own strength, so we pray for Your enablement and Your strength. Blessed in this invitation time, I pray. May Your will be done. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to sing number 606. We have an altar here. We are here to help you if we can, if we can pray with you. If God's spoken to your heart, you want to come pray on your own. If you don't know Christ and you'd like to know more about following Him, if, if God spoke to you about something in the message today and you want to come and pray, we're here. We would invite you to come. 606, the altar is open. You come. Let's stand together and sing.
drift away.